The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? We are well. Wow, this is like everyone's actually doing well. That's the best response I've ever had. I didn't have to ask even that twice. Well done. I think that was you, JP, in your cool shirt, just like lifting the vibes of everybody. Uh, you're sitting in the front row. That's why no one sits in the front row normally, but that's fine. Uh, if you don't know me, I am uh, one of the pastors here at LCC. Get the great joy and privilege uh, of serving here. Uh, we are walking through the book of Malachi. So every week we come in, we're reading a different text. Everyone's like, whoa, every time it's really, really heavy. Um, but it has so much to say to us. And particularly leading into Christmas, uh, coming out of this series, we're going to spend a, a few weeks just looking at different stories of how Jesus is present with people. Um, But I just want to start by just telling a story. Some of you know this story, some of you don't. It's a good story. And if you're a young person, listen up. This is what you should not do. Uh, When I was in grade 12, uh, I had some really, really awesome friends. And they had a great influence on me. And what we used to do is we used to go to basketball every Friday night. We'd play at Orkinflower and we'd play a couple of games. And I'd come home to a mate's house and we would stop off at 7-Eleven and buy multiple cartons of eggs. And we, we used to be near QE2 uh, Stadium. And in QE2 Stadium, it's like three lanes go one way, three lanes go another way. So it's like lots of heavy traffic. But behind you is dense bush. So you can stand in the bush. No one can see you in the bush. But you can peg eggs really, really well. And so we used to do this activity every week and we would just buy eggs and, and we would go there and we would egg cars that would pass us and we'd compare and we'd get points. So depending on what part of the car you had was the, you know, so again, listen up kids, this is really, really good. Um, and this one night when we were egging and this one night for some reason we all had extra money. So we had a lot of eggs and we were egging. But this one night, this particular car, like we all hit this car. And the car for the first time, it's the first car that ever did this, decided that it would stop and then reverse back to roughly the proximity of where those eggs came from. And so we're like, this is unusual. Normally they keep going and we celebrate. Anyway, four large masculine men hopped out of the car and they were very happy. They walked around to the boot of their car because they had been playing golf all afternoon. They lifted up the boot. They brought out their golf clubs. One was like, that's a 9-9. Nah, let's go for the clubs. Let's go for the three of clubs. Okay, so they brought out all their clubs and then we all went, see ya. (laughs) And we ran, we bolted. We as good friends ditched each other. We couldn't care less, man. If you get caught, that's on you because you couldn't run fast enough. Now, this bush is dense, so we're running. We are getting cut to shreds. And in our heart of hearts, we're like, we are going to die. So I've ditched all my mates. I have no idea where they are, and I can still hear people coming. And so I've hidden behind a bush, and then all you could hear was silence and then just a few grown men with golf clubs going, here, kitty, 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 kitty. Kitty, 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 kitty. And the amount of terror that was in our hearts. And we thought we were going to die. Now, when you think you're about to die and you are not a Christian, 
What you do is you all of a sudden become a good Christian. And this is what I became. And I started promising the Lord. I was like, Lord, I don't believe you exist. But I knew now, and I'd really love rescue and redemption. And I made promises to God. If you would save me from these grown men with their golf clubs, I said things like, I will worship you forever. I I even said, I don't think I actually said this, but imagine it was funny. I even, (laughs) imagine if I'd said, I'll pastor a church for you one day, God. I'll, I'll lead a church and it will be great. I made all these promises to God. Anyway, short story is, I, I became brave. I beat them all up, saved all my friends. And no, and that's why I got a few scars on me. Uh, no, no, they eventually gave up looking for us. They went away and then we all became friends again and then bagged each other for leaving each other. Um, when you find yourself in massive distress and then you kind of get like in this moment, you start to make promises. You start to make like, I'll do this if you'll do that. And what we have in this story is a bunch of people who were like in the dark bush after egging a whole lot of people. Okay, this is, this is the people of God who've been in Babylon for 70 years. And they made all sorts of promises to God. If you'll keep your promise, if you'll bring us back, then we will. Then we will. And if you read the story of Nehemiah, you actually get them coming back. They've rebuilt the walls. They've rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah 8 is one of the best chapters of the whole Bible. Go and read it. It is the best worship service. They, they literally are asking for the Bible to be opened. They haven't had their Bible opened in front of them forever. And as soon as Ezra opens up the book, they fall on their faces, weeping and filled with tears. And it says, listen, listen up. It says that they taught the book from the morning till lunchtime. So some of you think the sermons here go for a long time. It's a four hour and they didn't even preach. They just read it. And then someone preached. And they were like, we love God. We're for God. And then you get to the book of Malachi, which is probably somewhere through the end of the book of Nehemiah. It's a couple of decades later. And it tells us that these men and women are faithless. They were in distress and they promised God their affections. If you would just get us out of this, we will do this. And then it's coming along and they're no longer faithful to God. They're not keeping those promises that they made. Five times in this passage it said that they were faithless. Other versions might say deals treacherously. It means to break faith. And we've already seen that they have been faithless in the sense that they are offering apathetic worship. Last week, we looked at the fact that they are faithless in the fact that their leaders are ungodly and not really following Jesus. And then today, Malachi wants to give us three areas where they are being faithless to him. Number one, there is hostility in their relationships with one another. Two, there is hypocrisy seen in the fact that they are marrying unbelievers. And then thirdly, that there is disloyalty seen in rampant divorce. And so let's go through all three of these. And then I want to finish with a couple of things that I think will encourage us. That I think Malachi is trying to encourage them in terms of how to be faithful. So number one, there is hostility seen in personal relationships. So verse 10 said, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless? to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers. Now, in the Old Testament, that's the first half of the Bible, there are 615 laws. That's a lot of rules to keep. When Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, a whole bunch of people come up to him and ask him, like, what out of the 615 laws is the most important? 
And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. To which the response was like, what's the one though? We asked like, what's the most important commandment? And what Jesus does is goes, you can't separate one from the other. They go together. Love God, love neighbor. If you think about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were given to the people of God after he's rescued them from slavery to the Egyptians. He gives them ten rules. Those ten rules, the first four are about loving God. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't create idols. Right? Don't profane my name. It's, they're about God. Then the next six are about loving each other. So, so don't murder and don't steal and don't lie to each other. And so what we have in the Bible, what we have in God's economy of how he sees things, is you cannot separate your love of God from your love of the people that God has created. Oh, I wish this wasn't true. Because I sometimes love to lift up my hands and go, I love you, Lord, but I hate him. And if you just take him out, I'd love you more. You know, there's a sense in which like this, this is, this is actually hard for us. Because if we're honest, it's not always easy to love one another. Like some of you are weird. Like, I've got it all together, but some of you may not, right? Um, We have different personality types. We've got different backgrounds. We've got different ethnicities. We've got different cultural rhythms. We've got so many differences. And God is saying, hey, you cannot separate your love for me from your love for each other. And there is hostility in this church. And if you want to love me, you all need to work it out. It's like, whoa, that's heavy. But think about it. If you just extract this to the, to the normal sort of family home, this kind of makes sense. It's like you can't, you can't be in this house and kind of like love mum and not, not love your sister or your brother. It's like, no, you're going to have to work this thing out because we're one family. We, we don't get to pick and choose how this family unit works. It's like, no, 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 we love each other. Now, when you've got teenagers, that's great because they really love each other in the teen years. They're like, oh, I love... Not my brother. <laughs> Anyone else not my brother? We, we just had uh, some award ceremonies yesterday for, for kids. Uh, I manage a soccer team, and there's a bunch of girls at the soccer team I manage, and they have siblings, and their siblings were getting awards, and I encouraged all the girls, hey, why don't you go and celebrate your brother's award? And they're like, why would I do that? I hate him. <laughs> it's like, he's your brother. But that's kind of the teenage years. And so, so what, what God is saying here is, listen, I've not just saved you from something. I have saved you from the Babylonians, but I've also saved you into something, into a family, into a community of which I want it to work a certain way. And if you want to love me, one of the ways you do that is you love the family of which I'm the father of. Love one another. So in Exodus 20, it's post-rescue to the Egyptians. God said, I've rescued you, not, not just from Egypt, but to become this new people, this new nation. Malachi, I've not just rescued from the Babylonians, I've rescued not just from them, but to become this new people, this, this new nation. And so don't allow personal issues, don't allow things to come between us. 
Let's work them out. Let's sit with one another, have grace for one another, extend freedom, patience. Often when we deal with conflict, like there's different types of ways that we deal with conflict. Some of you in the room, you're ostriches, right? It's like the head goes down. What conflict? What? Elephant in the room? There's no elephants in Australia. We have dogs. I don't, I see the dog. And all of us, it's like, let's just avoid all conflict. Okay, others of you are like, maybe more like me. It's like, it's a lion. It's like, ah, oh, I smell conflict. Let's go. <laughs> it's like, ah, like I, I am not very conflict averse. I actually, I quite like to get in and resolve. Um, but the other party, namely my wife, is not. And so like, I've been the type of person who's like, well, we need to, I smell it. I'm going to call it out and let's go. Let's get this thing. And the other person's not quite ready. And so there's different approaches to conflict. But what we have to be committed to is if we're going to love God, we've got to love each other. And there are a few things that I think that are helping, that help us resolve conflict. And I think he gives us some here. One is, like, remember who your dad is. Remember who created you. God is our father. And if God is my father and God is your father, that makes us brother or sister. Don't forget that. Remember that. Uh, something that's been really helpful for me has been, someone once said, we often, we often judge people by their actions, but judge ourselves by our intentions. Yeah, yeah, they did this. And then they say, yeah, but you did this. And you're like, yeah, but I did that for these reasons. And so we judge ourselves by our intentions. I think sometimes what we need to do is actually because we have been the people of God who've received grace from God, who understands our story, we too need to realize every decision everyone ever makes is because of their story. There is something behind that that has led them to do that. So be charitable, be gracious to one another to go, I don't know why you did the action hurt, but I want to be charitable to say there's something behind that I don't know and I'm going to extend grace. So clearly, he is calling the people to be people of grace and mercy. Did you know in the, in the New Testament, there are 58 one another commands. Love one another, serve one another, bear each other's burdens, be gracious to one another, forgive one another. It just goes on and on and on. It's this sense of God has saved you from something, but he's also saved us into something. So there's hostility. Second thing is there's hypocrisy. And this is seen in the fact that they're marrying unbelievers. So verse 11 said, Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughters of a foreign god. It goes on in verse 13. It says, and the second thing you do, you like you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping, with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So what he's saying is, hey, listen, you're, you're coming in. And like you're worshiping, like you're lifting up your hands, well, yes, God, or you're praying. And he's like, but then you get frustrated that God's not blessing your life. But God's like, listen, you, you don't, you can't just be like a Sunday Christian. It's not how the thing works. It doesn't just work like on the, in the moment we feel a little bit, okay, now I love God. And then we go out and it's like, well, we're going to live however we want. It's like, that's not how this works. That's not faithfulness. And, and in their particular context, the way he's pointing out is like, you're coming in, you're worshiping me, you're, you're crying with tears, 
but then you're, you're deliberately disobeying something I said, don't do. I said, don't marry people from, from this world. And this world, when God gave that, was the Canaanites. Okay? Now, if you know anything about the Canaanites, the Canaanites worshipped a god named Molech, who demanded child sacrifices. And so God said, hey, don't marry with those people. Because they have a whole different value system. And, and I'm saying, if you get in there, you don't think you'll eventually worship their gods. You don't think you'll end up being like them. But this is how it happens. We intermarry and all of a sudden now we're doing things we thought we'd never do. And so it wasn't that God was saying, don't marry these people because of the color of their skin or because of their ethnicity. It was a worldview thing. He's like, listen, you believe this. You have these values. Don't marry someone who has completely different values. They don't, they don't value kids. They're nothing to them. So, so don't do that. Because at some stage, you probably won't care about your kids. And that's exactly what we heard actually happens with them. Because they're not caring about offspring anymore. They no longer care about the children. And so God said to them in Deuteronomy 7, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons and taking their daughters for your sons, for they will turn away your sons from following me. Paul says something similar in chapter, four, uh, chapter 6, verse 14 of Corinthians. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? See, I was like, I say this in our premarital counseling. If ever you've been at, like, the, one of the, the most important things to, to, marriage is spiritual union spiritual unity like we can we can have other things that are also important that help us to be like are we more compatible like do we like same stuff have we got interests and some of those things are helpful but you can have all of those things and not have spiritual union and you'll be frustrated because there's a there is a place that you want to get to in your relationship with god that you can't get to because the other next to you does not want to go there and young people who are no longer in this room but out in that far room and are going to listen to this podcast for sure. Sometimes it's not... How do I say this? There is a temptation because of the struggle with singleness and the loneliness in which that brings that you will drop your bar and you'll marry someone just so that you can... like fix that sense of loneliness but as someone who's been pastoring for a while now some of the loneliest people in the world have someone who wake up next to them every single day of their lives and so that's not worth it it's worth waiting to get the person who has the same worldview is following the same jesus and is going in the same direction so God says, you don't think you'll ever be like the Canaanites, but it just starts with the small decision to, to just drop your standards. And then thirdly, there's disloyalty. And this is seen in rampant divorce. So verse 14, if you say, what, what is he not? Like, what does he not accept our worship? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your and your wife by covenant. Did she not make? Uh, did he not make them one with a portion of spirit in their union? And what was what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in spirit, and let none of you be faithless 
to the wife of, you, of your youth. Now, let me just pause for a second um, and just recognize that we have people in this room today that are divorced. Okay, and the, the way that we can read this, uh, it, it, can have the, it has the ability to make us feel shame because of decisions that we've made or things that have happened to us in our past. And I just want to say, God is not a God of condemnation. <laughs> that is not God at all. And, and I'm going to unpack what's going on here because I think the Bible does actually give us grounds for divorce that when those things happen, they're fine. And most people, I think, aren't divorcing in this way. And, and if I can just say this, and if this is you, and this is what you have done, God's grace is bigger than your past decision and God can come and bring restoration and healing to you and you're welcome in our church. So come and experience the grace of God. But I'm going to guess that this is not what has led to most of us in our situations. So, so God is talking here about the difference between a contract and a covenant. So there's language of covenant here. Covenant's like a weird idea to us modern people. It's like, what is that? Okay, so... A contract is based on mutual distrust, okay? I don't trust you to keep your promises and to be faithful. You don't trust me to keep my promises and be faithful. So we're going to put something in paper that says when you break that or when you break that, we've got an out. That's contract. That's what our culture is built upon. God was saying, hey, the way that we do it as the people of God is we're not about contracts. We're about covenant. Covenant is not based on mutual distrust. It's based on mutual commitment. So in an ancient setting, this is, a, this is a little bit gruesome, but in an ancient setting, this is what they would actually do. They'd get an animal, they'd cut it into multiple pieces, and they'd basically put pieces on either side and create an aisle. And then the two parties that are making covenant would walk down the aisle together and basically say, we're, we're so committed to that, that what, like, if we break our promise, this is what should happen to us. That's how committed we are. Like, so they're like insane people, right? <laughs> it's crazy, right? Um, if you see the covenant that God makes with Abraham, he actually puts Abraham to sleep and he does that. And then God walks through to say to Abraham, I, it doesn't actually matter whether you're faithful or faithless. I will be faithful. I will keep the covenant with you, right? Isn't it interesting still in a modern wedding, we still have an aisle? Where do you think that came from? Our Western culture is not even aware of the things that we practice or where they come from. But there is, if you follow the lineage of how we got there, there was a sense of like we are walking down something to say this is covenant. Jesus was between two thieves of which he was in the middle. Two who would be destroyed and have their bodies destroyed. He was in the middle. Covenant. Right? This is all through the scriptures. And this idea of covenant is God showing his people this is what it looks like to do relationships in God's economy. So Ephesians 5 talks about marriage, but listen to this. Verse 31, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. God is saying even the marriage covenant is to point to, like, this is the way that God relates to his people. He covenants. This is why if you read the Old Testament... Why in the world does God keep rescuing these idiots? Do you know what I mean? Have you picked up on that? Like, listen, okay. So a lot of people are like, God's this, God's that. I'm like, just read the book from Genesis all the way to Malachi and tell me who's the bad guy and who's the good guy. 
Who's the patient one? Who's the kind one? Who's the... They keep just turning away and turning away and turning away. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Even here, I've rescued you from 70 years under the rule of Babylon. I'm bringing you back. You've built the temple. You've built the walls of Jerusalem. You're worshiping. And within two decades, they have forgotten. And they're going, oh, God, whatever. He's like, what in the world? Now, marriage is a gift from God, not only for us to enjoy, but also to learn about God and how he relates in covenants with his people. And these men are not keeping their covenant, and God is unhappy with them. Now, scholars give us basically two reasons why they're not doing this. Okay, the first one is, one of the quickest ways to secure wealth is to marry into it. That has been true from the ancient of days till today. If you can marry into a family and get in, live in the good life. They were in Babylon for 70 years. Their whole world was destroyed. When they are returning, they don't have wealth. So what a lot of men were doing is like, now that we get to go back, sorry, hun, divorce, don't need you. I'm going to marry this girl from their nation, which has money, and I'm going to encourage them that we can go over here and start a new life if they would just give us some cash so we can buy some land and build the house and start a whole new life. How lovely of these men. Can you imagine being a daughter? You're born in Babylon. Your parents have told you all of the stories of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem and what the wall used to look like and the temple used to look like and how it all used to work. And God promised that one day he would bring us home. So, hun, you, you keep going. You keep being faithful to God, even though you're not in God's world. Like you're in Babylon, like don't let them assimilate you. You keep and telling them a story after story of David and all the people, he's, all these stories and all these stories. And then decree comes from the Persian king Cyrus. You get to go home. And she's like, wow, I'm going to get to go home. I'm going to get to see the land. I'm going to get to see the temple. And then next week, hubby's like, sorry, hun. Now, I'm a human father, so I'm not like God, but I know which blades I would have been sharpening to find such man and gone to jail in love. God is not happy. She has walked with you. She's been on this journey with you. She's given up her life for you. And now you're going to ditch her for money? This is why God is so angry. Would you not be angry? Like, it's kind of make, when we first read it, like, oh, that's heavy. No, no, when you read it, you're like, dude, I would be angry. They're also doing it to satisfy selfish desires. To some men are divorcing their wives, not because they are looking for money, but just because they would like a younger one. That's interesting. Notice it said that he covers his garments with violence. In the Old Testament, part of the wedding ritual was that as they would get married, the husband would take off his outer garment, would put it over his bride to say, I will protect you for the rest of your life. And it was this great symbolic act of like, he's looking after her. Now, you've got to remember, ancient culture, okay? She doesn't get to get jobs. She doesn't get to go to university like today. She, she doesn't have those privileges. When someone got divorced, they are open for 
all sorts of horrible things. Get taken advantage of. They, they can't earn money. They, they didn't have that in their context. And so these men are just leaving these women. And so he's saying, like, you, you haven't taken your garment off and protected her. You're taking the garment off her, and now she is vulnerable. Anything can happen to her. That's how you're treating my daughters. So do you see why God might be angry? And do you see why divorce might be hurting people? Wives? And then he goes on and goes, and what about the kids? What about them? Nobody's thinking about the children. And it's destroying their community. And it is hurting everybody. And God is saying, you cannot say you are faithful to me while you are doing this stuff. This is horrible. And so what he does do, I believe he gives them two keys to faithfulness. And I'm actually going to swap the order of these. Um, So go to the second one if you can, Will. The first one is guarding. So he said multiple times, so guard yourselves in your spirit. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth in verse 15. And then verse 16, he ends it with saying, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Okay. This is a sense in like he's, he's helping them. He's not, just, he's not just calling them out. He's also saying, this is how you do it. This is how you be faithful to me. The first thing is guard your heart. Guard your spirit. Because what he wants to say is we are all tempted to drift. And there are all sorts of things that come up in here. There's all sorts of desires. Maybe, maybe, maybe we won't do what they're doing there, but maybe it's small other things that we might do or be led astray by. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, I think, gives us a few ways in which we can guard our hearts. This is from Proverbs 4. Verse 20, it starts with this. It says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. So this is the the writer saying, This is important, for they are life to those who find them, healing to all their flesh. Listen to verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. This is the core of you. All of our decisions are coming out of here. So you have to guard it with your life. Because often we think we'll never do this thing. But if you know somebody who eventually did that thing, they just didn't do it one day. It took a thousand little steps and just not guarding their heart. And all of a sudden they're like, you're like, how in the world did we get here? Like, how in the world did you go with being with your wife, being with your family, and then all of a sudden just ditch? Like, how did you get there? And it starts with small steps. Then he goes on and gives us a few. Number one, guard your mouth. Guard what you allow to come out of here. Guard what you allow to come out of here. Our world loves to, to... to be like online like awesomenesses. It's like we're going to say all sorts of things online. Like be careful what you let yourself say and speak. Guard it. So there are sometimes we're like we're not going to say those things. We're going to we're going to like we're going to before we say it and want to bring it back we're going to go, stop. Stop. Be slow to speak. Be careful what you speak. Look what he says, put away from you crooked speech. Second thing, guard your ears. Put devious talk far from you. So so don't allow things to come into your mind. 
So sometimes this means saying, I'm, I'm going to exit this conversation right now because it's filled with gossip. It's filled with slander. I don't want anything to do with it. So I'm going to exit the room. I'm putting that away from me. I'm not participating in that. I'm not going to allow it to go on. It says, guard your eyes. Verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you're focusing on. This could be TV. How much of that are you just letting in your eyes and over time you're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Five years ago there was something wrong with that. Have you noticed movies have changed? You know, it's like, I remember when I grew up, what was allowed in movies? You know, and what, I, what was an M-rated movie? I was like, whoa, M-rated movies and now like, gee. <laughs> the stuff that is in kids' programs now is like, whoa, it's crazy. Disney's putting all sorts of stuff in our kids' stuff. It's crazy. I'm not saying don't watch movies. There's some great movies. Watch your mind. 26, ponder the path of your feet. Think. Be careful what you're allowing in here. And then lastly, guard your actions. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So sometimes you might say something. Sometimes you might allow yourself to listen to something. Sometimes you look at something. Sometimes you're thinking things. And sometimes you're doing actions. Turn quickly. And then come to someone else and say, hey, just let you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to do this thing. Can you help me? Because I want to guard this. So it will stay soft towards God and soft towards people forever. So we, we have this saying with our kids, it's like thick skin. Okay, what people say to you, don't let that break you down. Thick skin. But sometimes when people hurt us, we get thick skin and hard hearts. And so we're trying to teach our kids thick skin, soft heart. You need both. Like our culture is like offended at everything. Everything's an offense. Everything's like violence. And so they're like really, 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 really soft skin and their hearts are hard and they want vengeance. And the Bible is saying the opposite. Thick skin, soft heart. And then lastly, as the band come up, at the very, very beginning, he told them to remember. Remembering is a rhythm that guards our hearts and helps us to be faithful so he says have we not all one father has not one god created us what's he doing he's reminding them of who their god is he's reminding them of their union if you think about our culture right now and the amount of attacks coming from left to right and this view versus this view and what everybody is forgetting is we're all human We're all made by God. We all have dignity, value, and worth. Why? Because we were all created by God. So there is no better human over another human. We are all equally loved. We're all equally flawed and broken and have our own stories to tell. And what he's doing is he's laying the, the playing field and saying, remember who I am so that you can remember who you are. I rescued not some of you. I rescued all of you. All depended upon my grace. All of you needed me to rescue. So yes, you've all come back to devastation. But don't forget, hey, we're in this together. We all needed Jesus. Amen? Everybody needed Jesus in this room. Everybody in this room has a story to tell of the grace of God. 
Forgetfulness always leads to faithfulness. And he is trying to say, remember. Remember. Paul says this over and over and over again. I remind you, brothers. I remind you, sisters. And then he goes on to tell them about the goodness, the graciousness of God. And then out of that, he says, in light of your remembering of who God is and what he has done, this is now who you are. Now go and live. Remember. Church, we have been given a gift, a rhythm of remembering. And one of those is communion. And so we were going to do communion between our two songs. I would like to do it now. So I'm going to ask for you to stand. If you don't yet have communion, if you can go and grab your communion from the left to the right. If you're, if you're here with us, you're not a Christian, just feel free to observe. You don't have to participate in this. If you're a Christian, go and do that. Shane, can I grab your Bible? Shane read this this morning in our prayer rally, and I just want to read it again. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. They also may attain the salvation that is Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Then he says, this saying is trustworthy for you. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But listen to this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Meaning he cannot break his covenant. Because whilst you and I are great promise makers... We're pretty good promise breakers. But we serve a God who is the greatest promise maker, who is the great promise keeper. So I don't know where you are with your walk with God today. I don't know whether you are listening to this and going, yeah, maybe maybe I'm drifting. Maybe I'm not so faithful to God. I just want to remind you today, he is faithful to you. And what he is saying today is in this moment of remembering, receive his grace and come back. Receive the joy that it is to follow Jesus. So let's take the bread together, which represents his body that was broken for us. And then let's take the juice, which represents the blood that he spilt and shed for us so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made right with God. God, we know that we are not always faithful. Uh, We know and acknowledge that we are broken. We are ordinary human beings with flaws. But we also know that you are a perfect God. And that your grace is far greater than our unfaithfulness to you. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to be reminded of who you are and what it is that you have done for us, that you have rescued us. All of us are created by you. All of us have a story and a journey. All of us stand equal before you as the great king. And you welcome us in. You invite us in by your grace. And Lord, today we celebrate your faithfulness. And we ask that by your spirit, you would help us to guard our hearts so that we might be like you and faithfully keep our commitments and covenant with you and with each other. I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and let's sing with the band to our great God. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.